Welcome to another episode of Unpacking Bexley, a podcast focused on exploring and analyzing the many different aspects of life and culture here in the city of Bexley. Today, we're joined by a number of Bexley community members and special guests. I'm here, Spencer Cahoon, friendly neighborhood Bexley DEI neighbor, and there's a number of other things I do as well. Joining me as well today, we have... This is Larry Diatley Ellison, a member of Bexley Pride, as well as Bexley DEI and a number of other groups throughout Bexley. Stacy Grossman, member of Bexley DEI and Bexley community member. Rabbi Hillel Skolnick, I'm a senior rabbi at Congregations for Israel and Bexley resident. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us, particularly Rabbi Skolnick, because you are a special guest today. We don't get to hear from you all the time. But unfortunately, our topic today is rising anti-Semitism, both in the community and in the nation. And Rabbi Skolnick has a unique insight into that based on his role in the community. So to get into this, we all know that Bexley is a community that has a very large Jewish population, about 30%, which is unusual nationally and regionally. However, that does mean that 70% of our population is people who are not Jewish. Now, because of that large population, a lot of us have friends, neighbors, extended family who are Jewish, which means we are a little bit more aware of what's going on. But a number of us don't. It's just our, our neighbors, and maybe we don't have those conversations. So our goal here today is to share a little bit about what the Jewish community is experiencing right now in hopes that that is educating to you and helps you understand what your neighbors and other community members are dealing with so that when you talk with them, you can have these conversations. Or we can just all be a little bit more empathetic and understanding of what different people here are working with. So without further ado, let's talk a little bit about what we've seen personally, either what we've experienced directly or what we've heard about in our conversations with friends and other folks in the Bexley community. And so that I'm not talking continuously, Stacy, would you like to kick that off? Well, to be quite honest, after the conflict between Israel and Hamas started, it was very difficult to get online and see some of the feedback and the comments that were happening. I don't quite know what the conversation is in the city of Bexley. I've seen some comments, you know, some have been very kind, some have been very unkind. And I think because I work in a shul, it's also a little different perspective because I don't get to step away for a moment and focus on something else. From the minute that I wake up until the minute that I go to bed, this is first and foremost in my mind. And so really what I've been trying to do is just kind of listen as I can and choose not to engage, but answer any questions. And I've had a, a few friends reach out and ask some questions who are not in the Jewish community. And I really appreciated that. Or even others who have just kind of reached out and asked if everybody was okay, regardless of what side they've been on or lean towards. Mm -hmm. I think in this community, it's difficult to not have friends on both sides. And I just hope that people understand that we all, we all care about innocent victims, regardless of whether they are Jewish or Palestinian. So we have a caring nature and we don't want anybody to get hurt. But what, what is happening over there is a little bit, it's a little bit complicated and not being within the community, it might be difficult to understand, especially with the, the media influence. 
So it's been interesting to be a part of, and it's been interesting to to watch as it continues to unfold. Yeah, interesting and challenging, I imagine. Absolutely. So for my own experience in the community, one of the things that stands out to me, we had a series of anti-Semitic incidents where somebody was showing up to people's houses. It was people who would have a I support Israel sign out in their yard. That's how they identified folks. They would come up to their door, they would ring the bell and think of the ring doorbells where you have the video connection. So they, they'd ring that, the person would video in, and then they would just launch into a tirade um, of anti-Semitic comments and slurs and what have you. And this happened to a number of, of folks in the Bexley community. And the police became involved in that, unsurprisingly. The individual was located and that is proceeding you know, as that system goes. But that was something that made a number of people concerned because that person felt emboldened to be able to go right up to people who are complete strangers and then just start attacking them. It's one thing if you have a a difficult or a hateful comment from someone you know, if you have a, a strange uncle who comes to Thanksgiving dinner and says something inappropriate, but it's another when it's a complete stranger who comes at you aggressively because you don't know what to expect. So I think it, that made a, a lot of people afraid. It was very it was uncomfortable. Concerned. A lot of people were scared to show solidarity at that moment and still are. They're uncomfortable putting anything identifying in their front yard. Mm. Instead of you driving down the street and seeing people who have signs or ribbons in their front yard or on their trees, it actually has caused people to pull back and be fearful about what the repercussions might be to have something like that, identifying your support of your Jewish friends and community. Yeah. I'm sorry, Rabbi Hillel. No, no need to apologize. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your podcast this morning. I appreciate it. And I'm glad to join you. I, I think you've really hit the nail on the head with that particular example, because it brings together a blend of so much of what makes this complicated. Mm. Um, you mentioned before, Spencer, that if 30% of uh, the Bexley population is Jewish, then that leaves another 70% who isn't, and of course has probably closer than normal connections to people who are Jewish, whether they're family or friends or neighbors. My general sense in terms of the Bexley population, though, as Stacey pointed out, there are a wide variety of opinions within the Jewish community and outside of the Jewish community on all things going on. The overwhelming majority of the non-Jewish residents in Bexley, even if they don't agree, they are still supportive of us and our right to practice our religion freely and to have our opinions. Um, so I, I wouldn't ever want to suggest, and I'm not saying that you did, but I want it to be clear that at least from my perspective as a Jewish leader, the city of Bexley and the residents of Bexley as a whole have been incredibly supportive, especially in this time. The incident that you mentioned, my understanding of it is that it was a person who had connections to Bexley, um, which is how he ended up here, but himself was not currently a resident of Bexley. But that also, as I was saying, plays into the danger of this moment which is to say, because the feelings of anti-Semitism are so prevalent in society as a whole, that it really doesn't matter where you live because you can be subject to something, because you can drive or walk or take public transportation or 
ride your bicycle to any place and then yeah. perform such an act in the same way that you can perform a crime in some place other than where you live, as we see with gun violence. So often it's not that they necessarily purchased something where they committed the crime. They may have purchased it somewhere entirely different. And that, I think, plays into why there is such concern. I, I would certainly not go so far as to say that Bexley itself has this rampant issue. It's a rampant issue in the country. And because mm-hmm. we live in the country, we are then subject to it. And, you know, you can drive in and out of Bexley, just go down any one of the streets, and eventually you're in another neighborhood. And I think that's part of why this feeling is so difficult and emotional. I think the other thing that's important to mention is that the rise in anti-Semitism was taking place also before October 7th. Absolutely. Uh, October 7th led to, of course, an unreal increase in the blatant acts of anti-Semitism, but we shouldn't act as if this was not something that was already a concern. And the fact that it rose so quickly even then is a sign that those feelings were concerningly there already. Yeah, if I could build on that a little bit. So I'm a big data person, for those who may not know me. Welcome, I'm your data guy. And like you said, Rabbi, anti-Semitism has been rising. It has been rising pretty rapidly in the last few years. Like just looking at the FBI hate crime information, it may surprise folks to know that anti-Jewish hate is second only to anti-Black hate in terms of hate crimes in the country, and that anti-Jewish hate is the highest hate incidence for hate based on religion. And it's not just a little bit higher than the next one on the list. It's five times higher than the next religiously based hate you see on the list, which is a an unfortunate way of saying Jewish people get a lot of hate across our country, have for a long time and still do, because this is the 2021 and 2022 data. And that religious hate crimes have been rising. They were up in 2022 prior to any of the current incidents with the state of Israel and the media discussion around that, up by about a quarter. So that's a pretty big spike. And while the 2023 numbers aren't finalized and out just yet, I would be shocked if it was any lower than it was in 2022. I think all this attention has just emboldened people who have anti-Jewish sentiment. And I know the ADL has noted a spike in anti-Jewish sentiment since October 7th, noting that we're seeing now about five times the amount of incidents that they were prior to that. So when those numbers come out, I think they're going to be even more heartbreaking. And just to note, I think your analysis of those numbers is absolutely correct. I mean, the 2023 numbers are not finalized yet. It's still early in 2024 as we record this podcast. But I think your sense of it is absolutely correct. Yeah, I wish it wasn't. Spencer, just to just to clarify, ADL is Anti Defamation League. Looking at that, I saw that actually being reported this morning that there have been, they have tracked 3,283 anti-Semitic incidents since October 7th through January 7th, just here in the United States. And I know we don't have specific stats here in Bexley, but I think everything that we've talked about so far is that, though we, we know that there is that sort of Bexley bubble, that we're not immune to the things that are happening happening nationally as well. And, and it's unfortunate that that seeps into our community as well. And just to clarify, that's what's been reported. 
There are many incidents that do go unreported also. Right. Like the incident we were just talking about is not one that's in the ADL's reporting based on the incidents they have listed for that period of time. But there are other incidents you may not have heard about. Like there is an incident where somebody was driving by people walking home from Shabbat services and was yelling, Hail Hitler at those people. So I'll give you another one. I was standing in, I think it was late October, watching my son's soccer game on the Easton soccer fields. Uh, And I had my yarmulke, my head covering on, and a person who was driving by the soccer fields and happened to be stopped at a red light started shouting all kinds Mm. of profanity and anti-Semitic slurs at me. And, you know, I've told people about it, but you're right. I mean, the the ABL numbers or this group's numbers, they don't represent every single incident. Right. I think it just gives us a rough idea of the trend. And unfortunately, the trend right now seems to be rising anti-Semitism. And things that we may think of as insulated here, like you may not experience it it on your street, but almost everyone who lives in Bexley is part of the broader community in the area, spends a lot of time in Columbus and surrounding areas. A fair number of people here travel to much more distant areas than that. And that's something that's, that's going on elsewhere as well. One of the incidents that was recorded in the Columbus area, and I would note that the Columbus area the greater Columbus area, comprises about half of the anti-Semitic incidents that have been tracked in Ohio. So this is an area where that is really focused, unfortunately. One of those incidents, someone decided to pen a letter to a Jewish institution that had a number of anti-Semitic rant-style statements, one of which that stood out to me. They said, it's quite possible the reason for the Holocaust is because European Gentiles got fed up. And somebody wanted to put that in writing and share that with their Jewish friends and neighbors. Like the analysis of World War II right there. Indeed. Um, So didn't know we'd be talking about World War II today, but there it is. Well, no, I mean, the truth of the matter is it's very difficult to talk about anti-Semitism without immediately thinking of the other atrocities that have been committed against the Jewish people. Um, Mm -hmm. And as a Jewish people in general, we have been raised and continue to raise our children with this concept of an interesting balance of remember and never forget. And that language oftentimes can be traced directly to the aftermath of the Holocaust, the vigilance that is needed to make sure that such an overwhelming and awful, and those words will never be sufficient to describe the atrocities of the Holocaust, but to make sure that such a thing never happens again. And even at this point in 2020, now four, that worry is always very much part of the Jewish experience. But I think if we're going to think about it holistically, we have to recognize the fact that from a perspective of anti-Semitism and Judaism, it dates back much further than just the 1920s and the 1930s. I was speaking last night with a friend who said they had an hour to do a presentation recently on the history of anti-Semitism and Judaism. And the biggest question that they had to figure out is where to start, which is Mm. both funny and sad, because as long as there has been a Jewish people, there has been anti-Semitism. And part of the reason that anti-Semitism lasts for so long is because the Jewish people have lasted for so long, miracle of miracles. And the extent that that causes 
frustration or consternation to other people for whatever illegitimate reason, that also leads to some of these feelings that we're seeing bubbling over and becoming part of, unfortunately, normalized rhetoric and action. And that is what we really need to combat, is to have people understand that it's just not okay. And while we respect people's rights to their opinions and to their ideas, and we should live in a free society, living in a free society also means making the conscious choice as an individual to understand that my right to exist does not have to be predicated on eliminating you from existence in the world. And that ultimately, I think, is also a commonality that you see between this concern about anti-Semitism and also what's happening in Israel, of the idea of being able to simply exist in a peaceful way, but that the concept of existence should not have to come at the requirement of killing whoever it is that lives side by side with you that the world ought to be big enough, even in a condensed place like Israel and Gaza and the West Bank and all the other Arab nations, there really ought to be enough space for everybody to just be alive and to live a peaceful life and to be able to raise their children in a peaceful and successful and harmonious way. But at the same time, if somebody's going to have that sense of, I have to eliminate you in order for me to exist, The answer to that question is not to sit back and say, okay, well, then I'll just wait around for you to try to eliminate. Yeah. As a leader in the Jewish community, I would really be interested on what you've seen in this area. I know on Christmas Day, the JCC has a family fun day for people who are Jewish and are not celebrating Christmas, something uh, my family routinely goes to. And I was chatting with someone there who was from the greater Columbus area. And they had indicated that for Hanukkah, which we had just recently celebrated prior to the Christmas holiday, they had not felt comfortable putting out a menorah, which is usually placed in the window where people can see it as a, a visual sign that that family is Jewish or celebrates Jewish traditions. And that's something I know had been talked about in Baxley preceding the holiday. And people felt safe to do that in Baxley, although there was a conversation about it. But people who are just living a few miles away didn't have that same sense of safety that we had here. What were you hearing from the various people in the Jewish community who you have the the privilege of being involved with? I think your example is a good one. The concept of putting uh, Hanukkah, Hanukkah menorah in your window is for the purpose of spreading the miracle, spreading the news of the miracle of the oil lasting for eight days and the miraculous victory of the Maccabees over the ancient Greeks. But it is without question an undeniable symbol of the fact that this is a household that has people who are Jewish. And that could potentially make you subject to some sort of active anti-Semitism, be it physical or verbal or any kind. And there has certainly been and was over the celebration of Hanukkah recently, a worry within the Jewish community of doing so. In a similar light, I think people who had routinely been wearing a Jewish star necklace on the outside of their clothing, have started to wear it inside their clothing. People Mm. who have routinely worn a yarmulke, a head covering, as a display of their Judaism and their faith, uh, have started to find other ways to cover their head by perhaps wearing a baseball cap, or in certain settings, not wearing it at all, because of a concern that it would invite some sort of anti-Semitic action. And that is 
terribly sad. It, it is an unfortunate statement of where we are as a society at this time, and the rapid increase of the fact that these hateful incidents are taking place, but it also speaks to people not wanting to subject themselves to it. I'll also share that I've had the privilege to go to Israel twice now since October 7th. And mm. one of the things that has really uh, stunned me into silence, which is saying a lot for a rabbi, is <laughs> the fact that friends and relatives and loved ones whom I've had the chance to interact with in Israel have continuously asked how we are doing here in the United States which mm. considering everything that has happened since October 7th in Israel is a, an unbelievable statement of the fact that it is known in the Jewish world that anti-Semitism is on the rise everywhere, including, alas, here. And so much so that people who are engaged in this unreal struggle and sadness and concern, and we record this podcast on the 100th day that there are still people uh, being held captive against their will, the fact that in the midst of that worry and concern and and awful situation, they have it in their hearts to ask how we are doing is in and of itself a statement of the fact that it is so out there and so known. It just it shocked me. I was touched by it, to be sure. But it was it was unreal to me that this is one of the things that they're thinking about is, are we OK? And at the end of the day, yes. We are okay and have confidence that we will be okay, but it's not a good feeling when you feel like you have to mute your display of your faith, because we should be living in a society where a person is not only allowed to, but encouraged to display their faith. Again, with the understanding that your faith is meant to coexist with other faith, and that is the key word to coexist with other faiths and other beliefs and other. All right, we're down to our last couple minutes here. So is there anything that anyone else would like to add before our time runs out? Yes, just to flip it to the positive, the way that Rabbi Hillel has done, even though social media has become a, a breeding ground for um, some very vile comments, there's also been some very beautiful things happening on Facebook. And what, what I have seen is whether it's MACA, which is Mothers Against College Anti-Semitism, coming together and trying to help their students navigate life on campus, or groups that are encouraging folks on the U.S. side to support Israeli artists, support Israeli businesses. You know, you see a community being brought together, trying to support those overseas. You know, many of those people and businesses that, you know, Rabbi Hillel talked about, Farmers are not able to, they're not able to harvest their crops. Businesses are not open. You know, their livelihoods are all at stake over there. People are losing money there. They're, it, it's a war zone. And so what the U.S. has been doing and, and members of this community on the state side, they, we've been pulling together and trying to support community over in, in Israel. So, you know, even though there are these things that are happening in such a negative way, we are seeing a, a positive thing happening. It's bringing people together. It's staying strong and, and supporting one another. I would just add that much as I do live my life with 
more worry and fear of anti-Semitism than I ever thought I was going to need to living in the 21st century. I don't fear for my personal safety walking down the street, whether it be in Bexley or Old Town East where the synagogue is located. And I'm sure there were some who would tell me that I should probably be even more concerned than I am. But I do continue to feel privileged by the fact that within the city of Bexley, the local government and our local law enforcement comes to our aid and acts as a protective measure for us, for which we should be incredibly grateful and, in fact, are incredibly grateful. You know, when I think about it as a non-Jewish resident of Bexley, what sorts of things can I do to help in the situation? And I think it really comes down to just like really any sort of hateful act that I'm, I may witness, it's standing up, being an active ally, you know, so making sure that you challenge biased language when you hear it, making sure that you report incidents when you see them, stop normalizing anti-Semitism and any hate for that matter, and just continue to have become knowledgeable and have discussions on these topics in your homes. I think that does a lot to make people aware of what's going on and helps to build that empathy and compassion that we need in our community in order to prevent and eliminate this type of event that happens or these incidents that happen. Absolutely. And one characteristic of Bexley is that we have a lot of families with children. Because of the excellent school system, a lot of people with children come here for that. And having those conversations in your own home is a way to introduce your children to things that they may not otherwise encounter or that they may encounter through friends. And learning things through friends is great, but oftentimes adults have a much better perspective and ability to share a more complete picture than other children do. And dealing with anti-Semitism, this is a good space for adults to step in and help educate their children. Yes. 100% agree with that. Now we're shifting gears slightly from our conversation with Rabbi Skolnick about what people are experiencing in the community to our special guest from the community who can tell us how we're serving people in the community and making sure that they're protected. Joining us for Unpacking Bexley, we have Chief of Police Gary Lewis. Welcome, Chief Lewis. Thank you so much. Truly appreciate the opportunity. And we appreciate you joining us. So before we jump into what we're talking about, which is anti-Semitism and how that's been impacting our community and how we've been responding to it, tell us just a little bit about yourself, because you're newer in the role and there's probably a lot of folks you haven't met yet. Plus, the, the residents of our great community are always changing and there's plenty of new people here who haven't had the chance. Thanks so much, Spencer. You know, first and foremost, again, thank you for the opportunity. You know, I think that although this conversation will deal with a lot of the reactionary dynamics following October 7th and what took place in Israel, I think it's important that we um, reflect upon this as a proactive moment to not only introduce some of the efforts and initiatives that we're doing, but also myself to many in the community that, that I may not have had an opportunity to meet yet. So I've been in the role since September of 2022. We've underwent a significant number of changes um, since taking over this role. I think that we continue to work with 
stakeholders such as Bexley DEI and many others that have a vested interest in moving the needle in so many areas. So excited to share some of the things that we're doing, some best practices specific to protecting not just all of our residents in Bexley, but in, in particular our Jewish residents, those that live and worship there in our community, but just how we continue. And, and some of the things that we're doing have now become a blueprint for others in the Central Ohio area. Which is great. I think as a community, we're always talking about that, how we have this opportunity to be a model for other communities. And this is an area where we are, and that, that's fantastic. So by way of background, when you came into this role in 2022, you might have discovered that a fair amount of your officers are not Jewish and maybe didn't have a huge background in what the Jewish community, how their practices and various cultural observances might affect policing practices. So how did you engage with your staff to help improve their knowledge level? And what level were they at when you came in? So, you know, I asked a couple of um, what I would consider simplistic questions. I approached one of my shifts and I said, hey, tell me a little bit about the difference of a bar mitzvah from a bat mitzvah. And some of them uh, said, chief, I thought it was a misspelling. I didn't know that there were two different things. And so that was my first sign that we needed to do something. So what I've done is I reached out to our partners at some of the synagogues, specifically Torah Emmett, and asked the rabbis there to put together a law enforcement instructional piece that we have called Judaism 101. The uh, rabbi came in and provided um, a several hour over view of a lot of the things that are very specific to where we may see calls for service increase throughout the year, high holidays, and what many of these things mean and the impact. So we really have taken a comprehensive look at learning more about you know, a large population of residents that we serve and understanding the needs. You know, I think after George Floyd in 2020, um, the country was very divided and it became very black and white. And I think that we've missed really a moment and opportunity following October 7th to focus on 30% of our community and mm -hmm. saying, what do we need to do proactively, even in regards to a very reactive incident. And so the officers have been um, extremely positive in receiving that knowledge and understanding, um, reaching out to those rabbis who've come in and just done a phenomenal job of the Q&A and sharing some insight and put together a very comprehensive lesson plan that now other law enforcement agencies in Central Ohio are saying, hey, Bexley PD's got a phenomenal model. We want to mirror that. And so we've been very proud of that. That's phenomenal. So one thing that is nice about this large Jewish community that we have here in Bexley is it helps people feel very safe. There is some strength in numbers. However, we have also experienced some anti-Semitic incidents since October 7th. What have you been seeing in your role as chief of police in terms of local anti-Semitism? So we have been impacted directly and indirectly, clearly. And when you hear the stories of survivors from the Holocaust who are in our community, when you hear the stories of not just a heightened sense, but the true fear and sense of alarm and harm that many have experienced. And so one of the things that we did was when I first took this role, I looked at what are we doing specifically 
for our Jewish community? What are we doing as a whole? And mm -hmm. a vulnerable area that was um, easily discernible was that we really weren't proactively engaging with our synagogues. You know, in a two and a half square mile, we have three synagogues and two directly adjacent to the city of Bexley. And the first question I asked was, why don't we have a bomb detection canine that is doing proactive sweeps, addressing what we're seeing across the nation in you know, these calls and threats, et cetera. So last summer, we had created a bomb detection canine program. It's been absolutely phenomenal in how it's been received. Pia is our canine and she does a phenomenal job. We went an extra step by changing this officer's hours. He works Monday through Saturday, which is a, a very non-traditional work schedule for a canine officer. And that's because Saturday is the day of worship. And so we wanted to make sure that he and the canine were not just present, but they were doing so much more proactively. So we do those sweeps on Friday prior to do some a Saturday day of and are very visible then. And that's just a couple of the examples in just looking at this proactively long before October 7th had taken place. Right. And that's great that we're already sort of ahead of the curve on this. With that, uh, in conversations with some of the other folks in the booster community who were involved with helping to get that canine unit started and supporting that, I heard that we ended up changing the language that commands were given in. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Absolutely. And wasn't that we changed it. We changed the, the culture of law enforcement. Traditionally, many canines are trained in German. We were extremely highly sensitive to this and went to a, the extra step. And so Pia is trained in Croatian. And so that is something that we, again, have taken significant pride in saying the devil's in the details and really paying attention to the impact. And so she is uh, probably one of the few canines that has been trained in that language. <laughs> and likely one of the few Croatian speakers in our community. <laughs> so true. But again, I think that's wonderful because it would be very easy to overlook the potential impact of walking near a synagogue or through a synagogue and barking out commands in German. But people who have experienced traumatization from the Holocaust might have a very different and very visceral reaction to that. So one, like, thank you for your, your foresight on this. So this is proactive work. And obviously, October 7th happened. This has changed a lot of people's views. A lot of people are more focused on Israel and paying a lot more attention to Jewish people in general in a negative way. So what else have you been able to get rolling since that's taken place to help serve that community? So the reactive piece following October 7th was this, that I really felt a moment and the mayor and I had discussed, how can we do more? There is a sense of urgency. And so I had suggested that we conduct town halls. And in those town halls, we actually meet people where they are. So the mayor and I partnered with the FBI, the Joint Tourism Task Force. We partnered with Jewish Columbus and we partnered with others to say, we will come to you and share with you what we're doing as a community. We will share with you how we're sharing information amongst our federal and state partners. We will come to you and talk about all these efforts and initiatives 
but more importantly, we will be there to answer your questions. So we have physically gone to every synagogue in Bexley. We are now, the idea had gotten such high praise, the FBI said, Chief, we like this idea so much. We're going to do this all across Southern Ohio, Dayton, Cincinnati, some of the other major cities, and they have mirrored this. And so it's gotten tremendous success in people, again, following the blueprint that we've created. Um, It's building so much that at the end of the month, the Jewish Columbus is going to be hosting a very large scale event where we'll bring in all of our law enforcement partners and invite the entire community to the Jewish Center and do a lot of what we've been doing in these town halls. So it has gone over really well. The the feedback has been extremely positive, very humbling to hear the stories upon stories that many of our residents have shared in that moment and how appreciative that they are that we've been very deliberate in delivering them a level of service that they would expect during such times as this. And you say there's an event coming up at the end of the month. People will be listening to this podcast at all different times. So just to clarify, the end of what month is that event taking place? So it's going to be the end of January. I would encourage them to go to jewishcolumbus.com and to look at that information. And it's got the dates, the ability to sign up, et cetera. And a little more about all those who will be featured to speak. Great. Thank you. And now, Stacy, in your work with local synagogues, I think you've had the opportunity to hear some of these town halls. So can you give us a viewpoint from somebody on the other side of the audience? What does that look like? I was not able to make it to the event at Torada Met. I was at the Agudas Achim event, and I do not believe Ahava Shalom has had theirs yet. Um, they have not. The reason we had um, paused theirs uh, simply because the... Jewish Columbus, we were going to have the large-scale event. I think there was a a conflict, and so that's on hold, so you're absolutely right. Okay, but just to to kind of backtrack, I did get a chance to meet Pia. She is absolutely adorable. (laughs) She, uh, it was all done in a very gentle and respectful manner, and I think one of the most comforting takeaways that we all had that night, at least those who were present, is that it's a, a local act, but with a far outreach. And there are a lot of community partners that are involved. It goes beyond our borders. So, you know, and if I am incorrect, please let me know. But I believe Columbus Police Department is also included in this partnership. Capital University Police are included. Mm-hmm. And then as Chief Lewis had mentioned prior, the FBI task force that is here that is working with, you know, the major three C's plus the others, uh, Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, and then the the smaller outlying but larger cities throughout Southern Columbus. And as someone who is a benefactor of the police presence and security guard presence at synagogues for holidays, events, this is something that is not new, but at this moment in time, it's something that is extremely necessary. So we thank you all for everything that you do. Thank you. And Chief Lewis, you mentioned you've heard a lot of positive feedback. What kind of feedback have you heard from people about this? I'm going to be honest with you, Spencer. It's been very humbling in that um, we have had a number of sidebar requests similar to this 
in that we're still meeting with boards of directors from our synagogues, sharing almost a, a smaller scale, but very intimate setting of interaction and providing them with updates, um, some best practices. It really has been very positive. And I think that having consistent communication with our rabbis, our leadership in our community, and getting their feedback and asking for best practices you know, one of the things that I think we have not touched on, but it's important in this conversation, is utilizing technology and mm -hmm. looking at how we leverage that to aid where we can't always have a body, but we can potentially detect, deter certain types of crime. So I think it's important that we look to that. And that's something that the mayor and I are also discussing on how do we implement some technology that will aid us, um, not during just this dynamic, but uh, many others to come. Gotcha. I love the the forward-looking approach. And in terms of conventional policing matters, have you seen calls for service around issues related to anti-Semitism over the last few months? We absolutely have. You know, I think that we have seen a number of things that have happened across the country where there have been these swatting attempts. So we should not be naive that seeing these types of incidents increase the types of calls, the level of hate and hurt speech that is out there, and wanting to be very mindful of that. And being responsive is, is even more key. And having that follow-up dialogue and conversation is, is also important. I just had a quick question. I know you had mentioned technology, and I don't know how this mixes in, but social media has become just this breeding ground of extremism a lot of hate speech, a lot of discomfort, even with, you know, within the city of Bexley, I have seen posts within community groups where someone has just posted something for sale in a local BST group, and it has escalated into just nasty remarks and comments and bordering anti-Semitism. Is this one of the avenues that you and the mayor will be looking into also? We do. And so part of our partnership with the FBI is that the level of data scrub that they do and finding some of these very public, really the big issue that I think we and, and many others face are those private chat rooms. You know, the FBI at the federal level tell us our biggest concern, it's not the large scale groups. It is that lone wolf actor that potentially has the ability to take a ideology or a moment and not have that type of platform or even that base that can build around and give that really that element of, of monitoring. So, but yes, ma'am, we are definitely continuing to monitor and, and see, for lack of better terms, the chatter and having a lot of partners. You had mentioned earlier with Columbus, you know, one of the things when we first started this, if you recall, with Tor Emmett, we have since brought on more partners that are seeing the positives of approaching things the way that we have. And so we're excited that Columbus has joined and many others there in the Central Ohio area. And I think if I remember one of the takeaways from the Agudas event is that the, the same rules apply. If you see something, say something. If there is anything that we see floating on social media, anything that teeters that line, you know, usually there's an admin in a private group, but if it's somebody who's just out there in the public sphere, is this something that you would want reported 
And if so, who would someone report that to? I would encourage them to contact us at 614-559-4444. Contact the Bexley Police Department. That way we can do our due diligence. I would much rather feel comfortable that in that see something, say something in that type of form, we're taking the screenshot that they can then share that back with us and we can then do our due diligence. Fabulous. Thank you. All right. Well, Chief Gary Lewis, thank you for taking the time to speak with us and thank you for your service to our community, both past and present and ongoing. We're hoping to keep you here for a while. If we want to talk to you again, how will we find you? If anyone knows how to find me, Spencer, you do. (laughs) Chief Gary Lewis, very easy to approach. If anyone in the community has issues they want to bring up or a gentleman they want to talk with, Mr. Lewis has an open door policy. He will be happy to set up time with you, though he is a busy man, so it might take you a second, but you'll get in there. I promise. Absolutely. Guys, great seeing you. Thanks so much, Stacy. Thank you for the feedback and just continue to support us. I appreciate that you see that we are doing more than just taking it serious, but we're really making this a top priority. So thank you so much. Thank you for including us in the, the DEI conversation. And um, for this proactive approach and for everything you do, not just for this, but for all of us here in Bexley. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's our hope that if you're Jewish, that you hear your stories and experiences being reflected here. And that if you're not Jewish, that you've learned a little bit about what it's like to be Jewish around Bexley right now so that we can all have a better basis for empathy and understanding. By learning, teaching our children, and engaging proactively with situations as they arise, we can help make sure that anti-Semitism doesn't have a place in our community. Thank you to everyone who joined us today, Rabbi Hillel Skolnick, Bexley Police Chief Gary Lewis, as well as Stacy Grossman, Larry Diatley Ellison, myself Spencer Cahoon, and Kerouac Smith, who made all of our sound editing possible. Thank you all so much for your engagement. And thank you, members of the Bexley community, for listening and improving your understanding. Remember, you can listen to us anywhere you get your fine podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you like. You can even ask your Alexa or Google smart home device to play the latest episode. And the name of that podcast is Unpacking Bexley. We'll see you next time.